Hi everyone, and welcome to Crime Science. In this podcast, we explore the science of crime and the practical application of this science for loss prevention and asset protection practitioners, as well as other professionals. We would like to thank Bosch for making this episode possible. Take advantage of the advanced video capabilities offered by Bosch to help reduce your shrink risk. Integrate video recordings with point-of-sale data for visual verification of transactions and exception reporting. Use video analytics for immediate notification of important AP-related events and leverage analytics metadata for fast forensic searches for evidence and to improve merchandising and operations. Learn more about extending your video system beyond simple surveillance in Zones 1 through 4 of LPRC's Zones of Influence by visiting Bosch online at boschsecurity.com. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Crime Science, the podcast from the LPRC. This is the latest in our weekly update series. Today, we're joined by our regular team members, Tom Ian, Tony D'Onofrio, and our producer, Diego Rodriguez. And we're going to take a very quick trip around the world um, and talk about some of the salient issues. Um, mine will be especially quick, just due to a, an unusually positive but crush of meetings and calls uh, right now. But what I'll do is just... Uh, on the front, um, as far as dealing with the COVID situation, um, incredibly high infection rates, it looks like, but uh, hospitalization and fatality rates just don't seem to come close to matching that. And it looks like this is an Omicron versus Omicron variants versus variants battle that Delta and some of these that were more serious created much more to serious disease. Um, clearly appear to be right now, according to the, the data I'm looking at, beyond the wane, um, and that it's these variants, the variants are much, much, much more transmissible, just, you know, one person infecting another or infecting a lot of others, uh, but not necessarily creating serious disease. Again, there are hypotheses that it's one part and a big part um, that the variant has learned and, and uh, evolved so that it uh, doesn't kill the patient, that it doesn't create too much serious disease so that the host, us, the human, can get out there and spread the virus and keep it going. Um, another part, of course, is um, such a large saturation of in natural infection and vaccination in the United States with literally, you know, hundreds of millions, you know, well over a quarter billion now, uh, roughly Americans being vaccinated um, more than once, many, many both boosted and then, of course, you know, anywhere from 100 to 200 million Americans evidently have had one or more bouts of uh, a coronavirus, the COVID-19 disease. So we'll stay tuned to all that. There's still emerging data that those individuals that have been boosted in addition to their initial one or two dose series in the United States uh, tend to be right now seem to be out pacing those that were not boosted uh, but maybe vaccinated um, as far as testing positive but again not very serious illness so the so it's interesting and it goes back to what we've talked about now for way too long that the idea of this vaccine was just to dramatically reduce serious disease and particularly fatalities in, in humans and us um, not to reduce the rate of infection or the infectiousness or uh, the, how how viremic one of us might be that's been vaccinated and in this case boosted. Um, it doesn't stop us from emitting the or or getting infected uh, via particles, but just reduces seriousness of the illness. So we'll stay tuned on that. Over the LPRC front, um, we're really excited. We're way farther along than we've ever been with the 
2022 version of the LPRC Impact Conference. Again, that first week in October, October 3rd through 5th, uh, we'd encourage you to go on to the LPRC website, um, register there. Um, you can send a message to operations at lpresearch.org to get involved. Uh, you're going to see an amazing uh, array of content, some uh, super cool tours and social events. It should be a who's who, again, uh, in Gainesville uh, of top loss prevention asset protection leaders at the different strata, as well as the top solution partners, including a lot of really high-tech people from Lenovo, from NVIDIA, from Intel, um, from Bosch and Axis and Everseen and, and uh, on and on. Um, more surprises to come there, too, by the way, uh, is one reason I'm so busy. Um, you'll see, too, that we've got a supply chain protection summit uh, coming up here. Um, you should look for those dates. They're on the website being sent out uh, via uh, the LPRC Connect e-newsletter. Um, again, you can subscribe to that at lpresearch.org. Um, you'll also see the we're moving the violent crime uh, working group. It looks like their summit to uh, the first week in November and then Philadelphia um, for a host of reasons. We want to move away from anybody else's conference, uh, deconflict there, if you will. Um, but you're also going to see uh, at impact a lot of great data and information coming out from some of the studies that have been underway. We've got several continuous or ongoing studies here. ARCS project um, that uh, Dr. Corey Lowe on the team, our senior research scientist uh, instituted. We're more and more retailers participating. We're filling out this super interesting and highly um, impactful, I think, uh, uh, map that is interactive. Uh, also, it's going to allow retailers, the more that participate, the, those can then go in um, and at no charge uh, get, an ac get access and get an idea of what all is going on, not just tapping into local law enforcement information, which can be very good to very bad, depending on the area and the timing, uh, but also tap into all the data that are being submitted by other retailers. Um, it's amazing when you look at the map that uh, Corey and James and others on the team have put together. Uh, the National Retail Federation has carried on the National Retail Security Survey, started by myself and Dr. Weitz and then Dr. Hollinger at the University of Florida back in the uh, early 90s. That study does continue, but now uh, NRF and the LPRC are working together on that study. Um, we've already got, uh, we're on a pace to surpass the last three years average responses, uh, and it's early. We're, we're way past where we've been in the past. Uh, Corey's done some things to enhance the instrument, the questionnaire, to get some a little more complete information so that you all, the decision makers, uh, whether you're a solution partner, of course, a, an LPAP or other practitioner, uh, to have better data. So we're really excited about how the NRSS is going, the National Retail Security Survey. Um, we're conducting focus groups. One is on body-worn cameras. We're looking, we've got four solution partner members here that have top-notch body-worn camera solutions. Uh, we're coordinating with our LPRC retailer members in Australia, in New Zealand, uh, and in the UK, in addition to uh, lining up some in the United States here to go through in depth, starting with a couple of focus groups around use cases, logistics, um, how, how do you wear them? How do you attach them? What do they look like? How do you charge them? When should you turn them on off? And a lot of those sort of practical issues and questions, how do you link integrate them with other technologies, CCTV and so on, uh, a live stream or recorded or both. Um, a lot of interesting things there. 
another focus group series that we put together. We've now got, I think it's seven retailers. We only want eight. Um, we're waiting for a couple more to get back to us here. Um, and this is going to be on left of contact, left of bang, left of the tragedy. Uh, we're going to start with active assailant, active killer, active shooter scenarios. And this is all around threat assessment. What are the signals and signatures, the behavioral, the visual, the audio, uh, the aural, as we call them, the digital signatures that we might pick up on out in zone five, things that they're doing, they're saying, um, and things like that. Um, there's a series of messages um, that we want to pick up on. We want to better connect the dots. We want to get better uh, definition and, of course, quicker dissemination to the right people. Um, so what can we do in zones five, four, three, two, one? One is where there's now right at the target and there is contact all the way up to the last split second before a trigger is pulled or a knife is wielded or some other tragedy. Um, what can we know? How can we know it? How do we connect the dots? How do we terminate the threat to safeguard vulnerable people? So um, we've got we've got a handful of really top-notch retailers that have been working long and hard on threat assessment, detection, surveillance, um, connection, uh, collaboration, and dissemination. And so uh, stay tuned on what's going on in that realm. Uh, but we are uh, aligned and ready to support. And we have been doing active shooter, killer, assailant research over the last several years now. Um, we're stepping up our efforts in that area. And another benefit of this type of research in the series of research projects, mini projects, if you will, in this area, just like you heard with body-worn cameras and a host of other issues, uh, is that we um, can use these for threat detection on armed robberies, on commercial burglaries, on uh, ORC booster groups. Um, you know, we could go on and on there, but look, taking a look at that and by working these typologies, what are what are active assailant types, you know, and why specific places? That's the center of interest for us at the LPRC. Why did they come to that place and commit that um, that horror? So what's going on about that? And then type one we're looking at is the threat works there. That is an insider threat that's been activated, energized radicalized, um, whatever it might be, to harm people in that place, um, what all can we and should we, are, able, are we able to better divine that might have let us know that could be coming up again in 54321, so five being beyond our parking lot, four in the parking lot, and the approach, the building approach, if it's an interior threat, we know um, tragically too many of these, in this case, active shooters have started in the parking lot um, somewhat recently. Uh, but what can we learn as they enter? Uh, what can we know? Is there in the building? In zone three, we call it. Is there in the proximate area where their target is? That's two, zone two. And then, of course, the actual target. Um, and what are things we could do to intervene would be the next step that we'll go to. Uh, the next type of threat, first is insider threat. The second is an insider. But that insider is not necessarily the, the threat, the attacker, or part of the attacker's but rather the magnet, the attractor for the threat. Uh, what, again, can we know through zone five, four, three, two, one? The third type is an outsider, but they're coming to that specific place to harm that place or individuals or an individual in that place that's a non-relative, that they're, they're, it's not necessarily the individual there is a target or the attractor, the magnet, if you will, but rather um, it's something about the dynamics there, the experiences there, 
they're furthering a cause and so on. So we also have come up with four uh, different themes that we've been able to pull out of the literature uh, out there. Uh, so the, the fourth type is it's unknown or it's just uh, maybe a random uh, person. And we're using use cases also, by the way, to illustrate these. And in one, there was a, an incident with a supermarket chain in Louisville, Kentucky. Individual's wife uh, announced that she's going to leave him. She goes to her church to a meeting. That individual gets a, a firearm, goes to the church to harm her, and um, they uh, see him in time. They detect him. They lock up. He can't get in there, so he walks across the street to a major supermarket chain store location and then starts to kill people in the parking lot and inside. So that's the kind of thing where that's got to be the toughest for us, but uh, all of us working together. But that's giving you an idea when we at the LPRC in science at the University of Florida or any place where you've got bona fide research, you're going to see frameworks, typology stood up based on initial evidence, review of the literature. Then you use those frameworks to more systematically collect information about what utterances, what behaviors, movements in space and time can we pick up on through that, the journey to harm. Uh, and in this case, by four different types of uh, events. So stay tuned on that um, and you'll see the same methodology being applied to other use cases here, working on an armed robbery use case. We've got a lot of data. After nine robbery events, the individual has now been caught. Uh, you'll see at the NRF coming up, protect. We'll be talking about what we've learned. Why does it look like the individual, actually in this case, the crew, um, went to one chain and never hit other stores? It may look like they might have been more convenient, more vulnerable, maybe even more attractive for other reasons, uh, but they went here. So it's always a why, why not? So a lot of research going on, uh, but we want you all to know that it's it's uh, embedded in frameworks and, and and then involves evidence or observations, data collection. So let me, with no further ado, turn it over to, to Tony D'Onofrio. Tony, if you can take it away. Thank you, uh, Reed. Uh, let me start this week with the latest FBI report on active shootings in the United States, published a couple of weeks ago, For the and this covers the entire year 2021. Uh, the FBI defines an active shooter as one or more individual actively engaging in killing or attempting to kill people in a populated area. Implicit in this definition is the shooter's use of a firearm. For 2021, the FBI has designated 61 shooting as active shooter incidents. What does that mean versus prior year? Well, as you would guess, uh, there is a trend going up in terms of these taking place. The number of active shooter incidents identified in 2021 represents a 52.5% increase from 2020 and an astonishing 96.8% increase from 2017. In the 61 incidents tracked by the FBI, 243 people were the human casualties in 2021 with 103 killed and 140 wounded. This compares with 164 casualties in 2020 with 38 killed and 126 wounded. December had the fewest number of incidents and similar to 2020, June had the highest number of incidents. And when compared to 2020, April had the biggest increase in incidents. The total casualty count for 2021 is below average for the period 2017 to 2020, but exceeded casualties in 2020 
with a 48% increase. The 2021 numbers represent the third highest total casualty count over the last five years. 32 of the active shooter of the 61 active shooter incidents occurred in areas of commerce. 28 incidents occurred in business environment open to pedestrian traffic. Uh, if you look at other data from other sources, 2022 is not looking any safer. According to another recent article from the Washington Post, there already have been 232 mass shootings this year in the United States as of June 6, 2022. Mass shooting is defined by the Gun Violence Archive, where four or more people, not including the shooter, are injured or killed, have averaged more than one per day so far this year. Not a single week in 2022 has passed without at least three mass shootings. Mass shootings have been on the rise in recent years. In 2021, almost 700 such incidents occurred, a jump from 611 in 2020 and 417 in 2019. Before that, incidents had not topped 400 annually since the gun violence archive started tracking this in 2014. This year is on pace with last year's when comparing the same period. Mass shootings have killed 256 people and injured over 1,000 through the end of May. I'm covering this in a lot of detail this week because this is an area that's important to the LPSC and we encourage both solution providers and retailers who keep finding ways to make us all safer. Let me switch now to a second topic, and this one is for the visual capitalist, and it's in support of Tom and the great summaries that he provides. And it provides um, a summarized view on the top 50 data breaches from 2004 to 2021. A data breach is an incident in which sensitive or confidential information is copied, transmitted, or stolen by an unauthorized entity. This can occur as a result of a malware attack, payment card fraud, insider leak, or unattended consequences. In 2021, a new record was sacked with more than 5.9 billion user records stolen. The largest data breach uh, recorded occurred in 2013 when all 3 billion Yahoo accounts had their information compromised. And that cyber attack, the uh, hackers were able to gather the personal information and password of users. While the full extent of the Yahoo breaches is still not realized, suffering cyber crimes around, across the globe have been linked to the stolen information. By sector, the top three places where breaches occur the most are the web, with 9.9 billion records stolen, finance at 2 billion uh, lost, and tech at 1.6 billion records lost. Retail ranked sixth with 594 million records lost. A 2021 IBM Securities report estimated that on average, the cost per data breach for companies in 2020 was $4.2 million, which represents a 10% increase from 2019. That increase is mainly attributed to the added to the added security risk associated with having more people working closely due to the remotely due to the COVID-19 pandemic. 
it's a good idea to listen to this podcast and to Tom for ideas on how to prevent you from being a victim of data breaches. And finally, let me end on some good news, and this is news from um, the National Food Retail Federation, or NRF, on the state of the U.S. economy as published in Chain Storage. As the, uh, as the article said, although the Federal Reserve faces a tricky job in addressing inflation, continued growth in employment wages and in, in consumer spending make it unlikely the effort will backfire into a major setback for the economy according to the NRF uh, chief economist. Though many people fear an, an extreme cooling off of the economy, there is not an overwhelming amount of evidence to support such prediction, said the chief economist. In general, the data suggests that we remain an ongoing expansion. GDP growth in the U.S. is projected to climb 2.6% in 2022 and another 2.1% in 2023. While the rate on inflation expected by consumer in the near term has moved up, expectations for the long term are subdued. I personally, uh, if I read through reading this and paying a lot of attention to this, I do have some, some concerns for the balance of 22 and really frankly into 2023 as uncertainties remain, uh, including the Ukraine war and where that ends up. Let's hope the NRF chief economist is right, and we all come out of this inflation cycle with continued growth. And with that, let me turn it over to Tom. Well, good morning, everybody, and thank you, Reed, and thank you, Tony. Uh, always great information. Let's just touch on a couple news stories and things that are in the news that you may have uh, seen or you may have heard of. But the first one is there are. Uh, several news outlets, uh, I'll, I'll specifically uh, quote some things from the Wall Street Journal where the, Russia is weaponizing food supplies in Ukraine and Europe. Uh, so this is a the, the Ukraine and, and Russia war that has been going on or incident that's occurring uh, continues to go on. And I think there's a lot of different news stories out there. Uh, we are somewhat removed to it. Uh, in some cases, but now we're starting to see reports of weaponizing of food, so basically restricting food to other areas and making it more difficult as a sign of, of pressure and also um, to really, in, in some cases, put put certain parts of the country in, in, a, in a very, very challenging scenario. This also, from a political standpoint, helps influence other European uh, countries uh, to either feel like they have to work with Russia or they're in a, a, a difficult position. I, I'm sure that some listeners saw some of the decisions made about oil and gas in Europe. Uh, oil in Europe is, is much different than oil in the U.S. from Russia. I think uh, in Germany, more than half of the oil was coming from Russia. So there's a very significant impact where in the United States, um, I believe it was less than 17 percent. So uh, certainly a much, much stronger hold. Um, there are some blockades uh, of stopping food from moving along. So this is not only putting people in danger, but it's also significantly, significantly driving the cost uh, of grain and others up, uh, up. There's also Russian blockades in the Black Sea and the port of Odessa, uh, where there are several uh, you know, freighters full of grain that can't move. 
Um, and there also are several mines and bombs in the ocean there. Again, not actually attacking the food, but stopping the path of the food. So definitely, um, you know, something that is going on and that could and probably will have a long-standing effect here in the States. So we'll continue to monitor it. I think um, one of the things with all of, uh, that's going on in the world, it's very, very hard with a global economy. And you have COVID, you have monkeypox, you have the Ukraine, and since you have organized retail crime, you have so many really important matters that are occurring, uh, active shooters, that it's very challenging sometimes to keep up with some of the things that are occurring. So we'll do our best here to kind of talk about them. And I'm not, I'm not going to get too far into uh, the economics here, but there was uh, a report about Target and Target mentioning that their profits will drop because there's too much inventory. And I think that, you know, anecdotally, I'd like to just talk through the, some of the supply chain challenges that we spoke about several months back. And uh, there were several articles, again, I'll point to the Wall Street Journal article where it really talks about the inventory being up, you know, more than 40% in some areas. And, you know, specifically talking about electronics, uh, outdoor furniture, uh, and some other consumer goods. A lot of a lot of this stems from supply chain challenges before that the elongated delays. Uh, it's very very difficult to predict consumer behavior. So buyers are buying things months in advance, and with COVID, the, the supply chain was drastically drastically delayed. And in some cases, you had folks that were waiting seven to nine months or longer to get product uh, from a manufacturer to the actual consumer. And so when you take those into consideration, there are significant impacts. And we're still seeing ex extended supply chain uh, challenges. And I'm not sure, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm very involved in supply chain world because my full-time job, we are a manufacturer and I do own the product and social portfolio. So I do this every day. Um, I'm not sure that there is an end in sight. I think that the, the cycle continues to be challenging and it's exasperated by the things that are occurring using the Russia and Ukraine conflict. You now have planes that have to fly around versus over, which adds fuel cost, adds time, and then you have ports uh, and the amount of ships that are rerouted. So I think we're, this supply chain issue is here to stay for at least um, the foreseeable future. That doesn't mean that we it's doom and gloom and that it's not going to go away. I, I definitely see it uh, still occurring. And also on the silicon side of things where chips are being made, we continue to see you know, that, that challenge of, you know, backlog uh, and delays that, that are really unprecedented. And I think they all have to do with that domino effect of supply chain. When you, when you look at the supply chain of, for a chip manufacturer not being able to get raw materials, not being able to get things in a timely fashion, really pl plagues the whole entire process. And then when you add a layer of complexity and with war, with, um, uh, disease and sickness like COVID and uh, lockdowns occurring still in China, um, we see a big challenge. Speaking of lockdowns, uh, up until a couple weeks ago, you had total lockdowns in parts of China. Uh, and, you know, I have actual personal friends that were in Shanghai that were in their apartment for more than 80 days. Um, and these are Western folks that are, are working there. Uh, they, they, for mostly are the people I know personally are from Europe and we're literally in an apartment, one for 81 days, uh, with extremely difficult conditions to get out even after that. So um, we'll continue to watch that. We'll continue to talk about it. Uh, while a lot of times what I report on is risk-related and sometimes feels 
uh, very much like there's no end in sight. I would uh, caution everybody and listeners of that there is there is an end to the, this. There is a, a a new kind of beginning to the supply chain piece. We're just trying to work through what is occurring today and how it will be in the future. Now switching kind of gears to the IT front, and we'll just talk a little bit. I I always like to talk about privacy and consumer privacy. And so Google paid $100 million to Illinois residents uh, around a face grouping feature. So I know we've spoken before about facial recognition technologies, and uh, Illinois is one of the states that has some privacy laws around it or regulatory laws. And this is dated back uh, a little bit of time. So this first came up in um, in April, I think, was when it hit the news. But this this is dated back several years. And what it is talking about is that Google, from May of 2015 to April of 2022, uh, was grouping facing photos uh, by faces. It's important to note that this was a feature that you would have at some point opted in to agree to, meaning that this wasn't done behind the scenes. This wasn't done secretively. Um, this was done uh, as a feature uh, that allowed you to group friends and family members if you uh, and things of that nature. So when you when you're thinking through and you go on and it asks you uh, in your Google Photos or Facebook, do you know who this person is? That is exactly the feature that we're referring to. It is a feature that that shows um, customer uh, customers, consumers, you know, who your family members are. It helps you group them. So if you upload hundreds or thousands or even hundreds of thousands of pictures today, it allows you to group by people. A lot of the, the services that are available today do this. This is not a, a, a new thing. This is something that occurred um you know, for many, many years. And I think it's it's important to note that uh, other services like Facebook and even Apple have similar features. I think what you'll see is there is a, a great and heightened uh, on making sure that that information is available for customers and people understand what is being done. So this is just one of the many kind of social media slash privacy things that we're seeing come out in the in the news and then government or uh, legal uh, matters being taken into consideration to to either fine or stop some of this activity. This is not something that's going to go away. I think every week we're seeing some level of fine, whether it be in um, in the news, uh, if it through a class action lawsuit uh, or just through kind of talking amongst ourselves. So definitely something to keep an eye on. Definitely something that will continue to talk through. And it just continues to show the need for regulation and consistency around facial recognition technology, regardless of how it's used. So I think it's uh, an important one. Um, one other thing that I wanna talk about is we talked about uh, one of the zero day vulnerabilities last week that affected Outlook. Um, and it was um, a really interesting one because it executed via email uh, and an attachment like a doc file. Uh, there, there's been a lot of chatter about it. It is one of the more concerning bugs that are out there or zero days that are out there because even if you didn't open the file in some cases, it allows for that remote exploit. So I continue to say patch and correct. This one, I do not believe there's been a patch as of the, as of today's recording. 
Um, there is a fix, but I don't believe there was a patch for it. So we'll continue to watch that and, and talk through that together. Um, and we'll continue to cover on it because I think it's an important one. Apple blocked 1.6 million apps from defrauding users in 2021. So I think we, we talked about this in the, uh, in other contexts, not specific to Apple, but the, the company has, in addition to stopping that fraud, blocked about 34,000 um, apps. So this is one of those things that I continue to, to want to kind of bring up and, and talk about because as we're using more app-based things, whether you're an iOS, um, Apple user, or an Android user, there's an inherent risk if if you're downloading um, apps and not reading, one, the terms of services or understanding what's going on in the background. Uh, the best thing to, to, to do is to just take a few minutes to see what uh, the app is doing. Uh, both Android and Apple have done a really good job of, of allowing apps uh, to do things, but also allowing users to pick and choose at a very granular level what the app has access to, whether it be your contact information, your photos, uh, and so on and so forth. And just as a real example, um, you know, Tim Horton's uh, coffee app was actually something that's been in the news for the last few weeks on some privacy concerns. And I'm not going to get too far into it, but basically what it, what occurred is uh, the app had uh, asked for permission to track users uh, to get better promotions and to basically get information to them when they were there. But in the background, the app was also, even when the app tr was closed, was tracking location-based data. It's important to note that um, there was a thorough investigation. And while there was privacy violations in the sense that um, more than 20, uh, 2,700 times uh, there was location data that was captured uh, without the user's information, uh, permission or no know-how. Um, it was important to note that Tim Horton anonymized this information. The app was not just taking that information and, and tracking Tom Meehan per se of where they were. They were anonymizing it. Um, this What makes this one a little bit uh, different is that this was not uh, like some of the other apps in the terms of services. Uh, there are still questions of whether it was intentional or unintentional, but the, the bottom line here is that they've corrected the issue and they've made a statement uh, that they won't do it going forward. The app still today, uh, if you're using it, has some location tracking, but it's only to identify, uh, at, at least of the way I understand it, when someone's close to it. Why am I talking about this? Um, this is just another one of the things when we talk about apps and, and social media as everybody knows, I think all of us here on the podcast, we, Tony and myself, we are heavy social media users. Uh, we're app users uh, because we have to be uh, because of what we do for a living. And I think it just kind of reminds us all of when we're using an, an application on a, a smartphone, we take just the, the extra few minutes to identify what and uh, it, what the app is doing. Uh, in this case, I think even if you did that, you might not see that behind the scenes. But I think it's also important to note that a lot of these reports, while they when we're talking about them or reading them on the news, it may seem nefarious. A lot of times it's not. There's no there are no ill intentions and there are mistakes that are made that cause things to occur. Um, I'm certainly not here to judge with this particular instance one way or another. The facts are that the app was collecting data and doing things with data that it didn't have the rights to do. Um, I uh, what I will say is that this isn't the first time, and I'm sure it won't be the last, 
Um, I think it's important to kind of put a wrap around this that when you are using an app for coupons or for app, uh, for things, it's important to, to take the time to just peruse the term of service, uh, terms of services. And one of the key indicators that you are having some avail, uh, availability to be tracked is if you have an app, uh, let's say it's a gas station or a coffee app that does not need Bluetooth and is asking to use your Bluetooth, there's a high likelihood that they're collecting that data for location uh, based uh, searching. And it, 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 there's also high likelihood that that would be anonymized, but it and, and still in fact is trying to track where a user is. And there are data services today that are out there that buy that data and then use it for advertising. And I think if you're in an app, uh, terms of services, they're very long and laborious. You might see a statement like, at times we share your data with trusted users to provide more targeted marketing. I think when you see those things, that that trusted user is a trusted user for them. Uh, and a lot of times it'll say anonymized data. So just serves as a reminder of that nothing is free. We continuously say that if you're using these apps or using social media, usually you are the content, you are what's driving um, the value. And with that, I will turn it back over to Tony and Reed. All right, thanks so much, Tony and Tom. Thank you for our producer, Diego Rodriguez, and all your hard work. Uh, but mostly, of course, we thank you all, the listener, and please stay tuned to what we're up to. Uh, tap into what we're up to. Get involved. Operations at lpresearch.org. Lpresearch.org in the website. Uh, engage. Be a member of the community. You know we're at 67 major retail corporations, all their divisions at this point, and continuing to grow. Um, we're at about just about 90 solution partners and continue to grow. This is a big growing community and with the neat uh, manufacturers like P&G, Procter & Gamble, um, almost all the major retail associations are part of the community, the LP Foundation, the LP Magazine, um, Retail Council of Canada and beyond. So get involved um, and stay in touch. Everybody stay safe. Thanks for listening to the Crime Science Podcast, presented by the Loss Prevention Research Council and sponsored by Bosch Security. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find more crime science episodes and valuable information at lpresearch.org. The content provided in the Crime Science Podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for legal, financial, or other advice. Views expressed by guests of the Crime Science Podcast are those of the authors and do not reflect the opinions or positions of the Loss Prevention Research Council. 